The Bill Haston Podcast can be accessed, Coach, on Apple, Spotify, Google. Last week, we had a great conversation with Dean Blevins from Oklahoma City. This week, we're going to have a great conversation with Bixby football coach, Lauren Montgomery. And I will start, Coach, by asking you not a Bixby question, but a football question. At this time of year, you're just back from the holidays. And it, not just you, but foot, high school football is back from the holidays. Like, the, what does what the next month to six weeks look like at, at that level of football? What do you do? Well, for the Bixby Spartans, a couple of different things. Obviously, you're well aware of the growth that we have in our program. Um, we had 108th graders in our program last year. We had 79th graders. Um, and those groups are only going to get larger. And so the administration – um, is giving us a go-ahead to hire additional uh, middle school coaches so that what is a good thing doesn't end up, you know, sort of being an unintended consequence of losing kids or kids not being coached up. And so I'm in the process of gathering resumes, uh, you know, vetting candidates, uh, trying to identify people who want to be a part of our program since – um, we have a history of hiring from within when coaches leave our program. I'd say another thing is it's clinic season. And so we're taking a deep dive into what we do um, and, and looking to find uh, better ways, find ways that we're going to need to tweak, tweak what we do with the personnel that we have, in, have coming back. And then finally, myself as a head coach, I'm taking time. At the end of the season, I give our, each of our coaches a, an exit survey get their input on our program, uh, kind of where they want to go professionally, uh, different ideas, what worked, what didn't last year, and uh, sitting down with each of those coaches going through the exit surveys, uh, and I guess with, a, with the intent of trying to find a better way. So you entered uh, 22, the 2022 season with only four starters back on either side of the ball. You had a new quarterback again for the third straight year. Uh, and you were going into 6A1 for your first season in the state's biggest class. So when, when you guys got together in August and got started with everyday camp, did you sense the same kind of confidence and swagger that there's always been over the, your life, your run in 6A2? Or were you guys a little more on edge looking back on it now that, that you know we're going into the, the super heavyweight division here and we're not sure exactly what it's going to look like? We feel like we'll be really good instead of me putting words in your mouth. But did you have that same kind of typical uh, Bixby confidence going into 22, even with those circumstances? I, I would say that myself, you know, obviously, you know, you've got to have a little bit of confidence in what you do, but never um, are we real sure of who we are and what we're going to be going into the season. Um, you know, we had all four defensive backs coming back. We felt like we had some good guys in our front seven on defense. Um, we knew Connor Kirby had played a little bit at quarterback. We had no idea how much he was going to grow. Um, you know, we had to figure out life without Braylon Presley, the Gatorade player of the year. So we knew there was a lot of question marks, and we knew the schedule was going to be different. And so I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't just a little bit of anxiety of the unknown. Uh, for lack of a better term. So there was a little bit of that. But also, um, you know, it's weird, Bill, but, you know, almost a little bit of the the pressure off, so to speak, 
um, maybe stepping up to a larger class. And, you know, our thought process was kind of, hey, let's let's throw our hats in the ring and kind of see see where we stand in in the largest classification. We thought maybe since we had played uh, some of the large schools here and there at the beginning of the season that we might have a chance. But, um, you know, it's different playing those guys uh, preseason than it is week 10 or in the playoffs or a second time and, and some of those things that come about when you're playing in their league. Right. Yeah. And then you, uh, <laughs> you're open or you only played in front of the biggest crowd in Bixby football history that night. So uh, what a way to start. So you were on, okay. If I remember right, coach Trimble once six in a row, his first six at jinx, you were on the staff for the final two of those. So you were on the, you, you got, a good feel for the Jinx dynasty, Coach Tremble's Jinx dynasty. And now you've got a, a, a pretty special uh, period here with Bixby football. Are there any undeniable similarities with what's going on? What makes what made Jinx click in those years and what makes Big, Bixby click today? I think so. Um, the communities are different, right? They're uh, – um, very different communities when you look at um, the culture in the two communities. However, there are also a lot of similarities. Um, there's a lot of hardworking people in both communities, a lot of successful people, and I think successful people expect their kids to be successful. Um, there's um, the ability to, to raise money and uh, get the things that, that you need as far as um, whether it be equipment or staff development or feeding your kids or weight equipment, all those things. And so there's a lot of similarities there. Um, so cutting corners, you're saying, yeah, you don't cut, corners. you don't cut corners. No, I mean, typically we don't have to, um, you know, we've got a lot of folks, uh, you know, our, our administration, our coaching staff that understands that in the sport of football um, and athletics in general, you have the ability to affect kids and give kids opportunities to be successful that you might not have if you didn't have organized sports in the schools. Right. So uh, you, your win streak was at 58 the night you and Jinx played. Jinx wins a, an, an unbelievable game, classic at your place, final regular season game. When uh, did you – I mean, we talked, you and I talked just a couple of days later, and you seemed fine. But but in the moment, in that because you had not lost a football game in four years and two months at that point, were you a little bit in shock that night? I don't think so. Um, we've been doing this long enough that, you know, and me personally, 23 years, that, um, you know, you, you lose some heartbreakers and you don't ever want to, but um, – you know, in that particular ball game, um, they made some really good plays. And they made some really good plays, um, you know, against some of our best players. And that's what you have to do when you have two really good teams. Um, your best players have to step up. And then sometimes you have to be fortunate um, and, and get some breaks. And so um, we didn't play our best game. And, uh, you know, I was aware of that. Um, so shocked, no, um, not at all disappointed uh, knew we could have played better um, and then also I think I made the comment to you Bill after the game that you know this could be a healthy thing for us it'll it will cause us to really deep dive 
and take a look at who we are, uh, what we're doing. And we happen to have a bye week that particular week, you know. So sometimes um, winning can be seductive, you know, even though um, maybe something needs to be changed, uh, either you're winning and so you're not forced to take a look at it or maybe you don't want to, um, you know, uh, upset, you know, the momentum that you currently have going to, to make a change. And so I feel like that, um, and hats off to coach Riggs and his guys, they played a really good game that night, but I felt like in retrospect, that was a good thing that, that probably happened for us this year, as opposed to coming back and maybe happening in the semifinal game. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I had forgotten about too, you had to, uh, you had to get out of bed at about three o'clock in the morning and put on a happy face and go on the Today Show a week after that. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, which was a great experience for the community. I mean, great for the Bixby community and Bixby Public Schools and and all of it. But but uh, yeah, I thought about that. Barry Lewis and I talked about it that night. Uh, this gives Laura Montgomery something to work with over these two weeks of prep for their first playoff game. And apparently, you you got had a great two weeks of. Uh, practice before before you got into the postseason we did and and it was good and you know um the program at that point and I would say the program still has a lot of momentum and uh you know you hate to lose a game on that stage however I think the the big takeaway is we were on that stage I had the opportunity to go down to Florida um over Christmas break just came back from the American Football Coaches Association Convention. And uh, I can't tell you how many people um, were able to watch that game on ESPN, too. It's pretty cool. And, you know, I would say the vast majority of folks that, that watched it really probably couldn't remember that, you know, who won or lost that ball game. They could remember, though, um, that we were on ESPN and that our program has had a ton of success. And so, um, you know, every cloud kind of has a silver lining, but um, to be on those two stages, whether it's ESPN uh, back in 2020, whether it's ESPN2 in 2022 or um, the Today Show or the Under Armour All-America game, I think those things are all good for our program and, yeah. and the Big Speak community. You know what I'll remember about that night, among other things, is is that I, I got to the uh, I got to your stadium at 90 minutes before kick and your side of the stadium and a good chunk of Jinx's side of the stadium was full. 90 minutes before kick, your side of the stadium was full. So, yes. that, yeah, it, what a night that was, yeah. So the the, the same group, ESPN group, that, that um, announces and promotes the Under Armour All-American game also does the Geico high school Friday night games or Thursday night games in our case. And uh, those guys said with – out of doubt, that was the best game and the best atmosphere that uh, they had had all year, if not since they've been doing these games. And and you could just feel it. You could walk out um, that week 10. The weather was perfect. Um, right. You know, capacity crowd. I know uh, the fire marshal allowed Miss Creekmore to release a few more tickets, you know, right there at the end. But um, it was just electric. And right. and I think, I think it's pretty cool, um, you know, what – what we have going in green country, the Tulsa area specifically, as far as the way our community uh, gets behind football. And a big part of that, you know, and I'm not tooting your horn, but a big part of that is the 
the coverage and uh, the attention that the media gives our our, our programs. Well, I mean, here we are, uh, January, whatever this is, mid-January, and I'm talking to you about high school football, uh, you know. Oh, uh, is the uh, uh, Battle of the Burbs uh, opener next year? You'll be back at TU, and is it going to be on that Thursday, or is that so far out that you haven't determined that yet? Do you know? Will that be zero week Thursday again? Will you do it that way? Yeah, we'll do it on Thursday again, and the reason is – it's the first game. It, it is kind of the kickoff to uh, Oklahoma high school football, and that's the way we wanted to do it. Uh, Mr. Duffield up at Owasso, Miss Creepmore here at Bixby, the administration, they they were excited about that opportunity. They knew, you know, selfishly that the gates would be really good and the crowds would be really good, but more importantly, to provide that experience for our student athletes, not just our football players, but our students at the game, the band, the cheer, the dance, everybody that's involved with the pageantry of high school football, um, that just kind of adds to it. So, yeah, we're going to play that game on Thursday as long as we can. I guess that's August 31st. Yeah, it would be August 31st. So it's 227 days until your opener, Lauren, if you're you're counting it down. Is, uh, Is week zero the week before August 31st? Would it be – I think it'll be the week before that. Really? August? You would open as early as August 24th? That's a Thursday. I think, I think it was on the 25th last year, 24th or 25th last but year, yeah. You're exactly right, yes, because the Cole Adams injury, that game, it was all August 25th. I wrote about it a million times. You're so right. Uh, week one will be the 31st and the 1st of September. You're exactly right. I'm so glad you corrected me on that. Um because that's that's worth a note, but yeah. So Owasso, Bixby, Battle of the Burbs two will be August twenty fourth at TU. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I would just say that I'm hoping that that's something that we can continue um, this summer. We will redistrict for the twenty four twenty five year, and I have no idea how the Oklahoma high school coaches are going to realign the districts. You know, this year. Um, was my first year in 6A1, and so I was kind of new to the game, but they they did something that they've never done before as far as the way they they ranked each team and didn't just kind of um, snaked them in into districts. And so hopefully us and Owasso um, can, can continue that matchup because I think it's good. We've got the backing of Quick Trip and, uh, and right. our communities behind it. So you, you had uh, Mason Williams in 20, you had Christian Burke in 21, you had Connor Kirby, who, uh, it, I don't know, if, if I had like put together a state players of the year list in my mind, top five guys in the state, which is kind of a silly thing to do because I don't pretend to know the personnel on the West side that well, but Connor Kirby had an unbelievable year for you and was at his absolute best in the playoffs for you. All right, so you had those three guys win state championships. You've won eight championships in the last nine seasons. You've won five in a row. Do you know, as we speak, who might be your starter on opening night against Owasso? Or can you talk about the guys who will compete for that job? I think it would be better that that I talk about the guys who might compete for the job um, just right. because – you know, we're, we're dealing with high school kids first and foremost. And um, if a kid looks a certain way or is 5'11", 
160 pounds in November of 2022, he might be a completely different beast, you know, as we move forward. But um, our upperclassmen, our senior that we have coming back into the into the picture, who actually was on the field for us um, right there at the end because he's so electric with the ball in his hands is Clay Peters. And he was in the he was in the mix and in the quarterback competition last year. And uh, he's a he's a defensive back. He's a quarterback. And we did some uh, personnel groupings with three quarterbacks on the field. And and uh, when we when we dove into self scout. Um, one thing that kept coming up is Clay was one of our most explosive guys when he touched the ball. And so Coach Snyder uh, started working to get him on, on the field some, and he was extremely productive there, and he's grown, uh, matured. And so he'll be an upperclassman. Then uh, Cooper Parker, who um, was a sophomore last year, started several games at inside linebacker for us, um, will be a junior coming into, into 2023. Um, is just a football player. He's uh, he's a kid that started with his group for a long time. And then um, we've got a couple of guys that are going to be sophomores that I think are going to be really, really good. Um, Carson Kirby and then Stone Turner, two guys that uh, split time as freshmen. Uh, both of them have uh, unique skill sets. Both of them are really good athletes. Both of them uh, strong arms, throw the ball really well. Both of them, um, you know, can run a little bit. And uh, so we'll just see, you know, there's a lot of time in between now and and uh, August 25th or whenever it, it is. And uh, we always try to provide as many opportunities as we can through. We'll have four teams in our team camp. We'll go through spring ball. We'll do our seven on seven tournaments in the summer. So and I know uh, I know those guys are working hard in track and baseball and, and all those things right now. Like you personally, <clears throat> what is the longest you will allow yourself to go during a calendar year when you have no football activity whatsoever? None. Um, no planned. I mean, you're always going to get text messages or, or have to respond to something. But, but where you really truly try to unplug and get away. Well, I usually try to take a few days over uh, Christmas break. Um, this year was a little bit different because um, – I had to had to prepare for our trip trip to Orlando, which was good. That wasn't necessarily Bixby Spartan football, but it was football, and I enjoy it. You know, it's All right. You no, know, that was a great that was a great experience. I got if I, I did, gotta, I got to presume that was a great experience for you. Yeah, but every day when you leave the office, there's a pile of stuff that you need to do on your desk, so you try to prioritize it. And you know, as opposed to sitting around looking at Twitter. Um, especially this time of year, it, we're out of school today and I'm up at the stadium trying to knock some things out, um, you know, but that week uh, that we get out of school before Christmas, I really enjoy that because there's bowl games on, um, you know, I can be home. Or, <laughs> right. There's there's family around, all that stuff. And then, right. uh, you know, uh, spring break, I would say also we, uh, you know, we get some intermittent breaks, you know, throughout the year. But as you get closer to football season, your anxiety level ramps up. I just laughed because I asked you about when you try to take a break from football and you said you enjoy Christmas because you can watch bowl games. So, yeah, I, I dig it too. I And I, I am not in the camp of thinking there are too many bowl games. I'm going to watch it. Now, there are some bad bowl games, but I don't have to stay with it for four quarters. But if it's a good ball game, I will stay with it. I don't care who the teams are. So, um, but like Braylon has moved to TU. 
after a few months at OSU. And I know coaches don't like to comment on how other coaches should do their business, but in a general sense, how would you maximize Braylon Presley uh, at that faster, bigger level of football if you were play calling and prepping him uh, at that level of football? What, what's the best way to maximize what Braylon Presley can do for you? My initial thought, and and I've never coached at that level, so I, you know, I would be remiss if I act, acted like, um, you know, I knew what was going on at that level, but um, I would think with Braylon, you would have to have, or you would want to have personnel packages that involved him. Meaning um, if you're in a normal 11 or 10 personnel set and you've got third down and, and nine, um, Braylon's not your guy to be pass protecting and, and picking up a 250 pound defensive end. Um, you'll want to use him at tailback. You'll want to use him at H with speed sweeps. You'll want to have him out of the backfield and pass routes where you can get mismatches. Um, but um, the the coordinator needs to be also creative um, to, to utilize that skill set. If you want to go slam into a 250-pound defensive end, there's probably a better guy. But um, if you want to get a guy that's going to run good routes, if you want to get a guy that – um, is going to run uh, counter if you, you know those those sort of things sweeps. Um, you know Braylon needs to be in the game because you know anytime he touches the ball, something really good can happen. I uh, I didn't see all fifty eight <clears throat> games during your streak, but I saw quite a few of them. And I if to me, uh, if if there was any one moment that kind of uh defined the Bixby streak was at Choctaw. Uh packed house, biggest crowd in the history of that town for football. They homecoming. They really thought they were going to beat you. You had beaten them in the championship game the year before in a really tough game. And so Braylon scores on the first play. And there's a flag. It's like a 70-yard run play. And there's a flag. And it comes back. Like I'm telling you, like you don't remember this, but 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 on the next play, you thought I think he lined up on the left edge uh, in the slot, and, and you fire a quick strike, and he's and he's gone, 75 yards or whatever it was for a touchdown. But to me, that was kind of the, I guess my favorite moment of the Bixby streak was that they were so fired up, there were so many people packed into that stadium that night. And I really wondered too, is this the night the streak ends? And you beat them, oh my goodness, 70 to seven, I think was the score. Uh, but was was there a game, like if you had to do the time capsule thing, Lauren, with a game or a moment or a touchdown from the streak that you would like to put in a bottle and and save forever, what would it have been? That was a, that was a fun one. I know when we ask our kids on senior night and some things like that, uh, their most memorable event is the Bixby Spartan. A couple of them mentioned that game because I think it was fun for them um, from the fact that it was such a close game. Choctaw was was highly touted because they had nearly everyone coming back. And then for it all to come together where everything seems to click. Um, so that was a really big night. Um, you know, there were a lot of big wins in there, a lot of close games. Um, you know, you go back to the – 2019 state championship game against Stillwater 
that was a that was a pretty darn good ball game where they yeah they jumped up on us and and it was like there was nothing we could do right and I was I was like wow we've had such a good year and we're going to come out here and lay an egg and get throttled that's literally what was going through my mind on the sidelines um and then we caught a break and then um and then we started to build a little momentum and then uh, Brendan Presley was absolutely amazing that night, um, along with quite a few of our other guys. That was a good one. Um, you know, there was a night um, across the river over there where we won 57 to seven in that in that streak. There was another one of those nights where wow, everything just seems to be clicking and going right. Um, and you know, football rarely do you have those where everything you've worked on in practice, everything you've put on the marker board, everything just seems to be clicking. But, um, yeah, there were some some really good ones. 2018, you know, we talk about memorable. Um, we had a two-hour lightning delay up at Owasso and didn't finish the game until, I don't know, 1.30 or, or 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, so, I don't know, we've had some had some pretty big games. But the one at Choctaw was fun. And, and the two back-to-back plays, the – counter that Braylon took to the house and then we ran a little bubble slant because they were playing playing him and man on the next play kind of was fun as far as setting the tone yeah um the uh the game across the river you made reference to so the uh the Ohio State people refer to Michigan as the team up north or whatever and is that how you refer to James (laughs) across the river no 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 disrespect no, right. Uh, well, no, you have a history of both, Ed, Ed Jinx. Uh, but I thought that game, 57 to 7, was the, and it was like 42 to nothing at half or 43 nothing at half. Just, it was such a shocking um, score and a shocking performance. But I thought that was the game when the Bixby program went from here, whatever that is, to here and, and really kind of made a statement that, you know, it's inevitable we're going to be in 6A1 at some point, and we're just kind of uh, – that was just kind of a perfect platform that night to show that you were trending or tracking toward being really, truly ready to go into 6A1. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a good evening. And, uh, you know, I think there are little baby steps all along the way as far as gaining momentum. You know, uh, we talked about – uh, our staff, we read the book Good to Great last offseason, and they talk about the flywheel concept. And so, you know, it can go both ways, but especially early in our program in 2010, 2011, um, that flywheel was barely, barely moving, and it was hard to get get things going. But it's when you have, have a win like that, um, those wins that you're referencing where that flywheel can really start to gain good momentum. Right. So uh, when you watch a college or NFL game, I mean, before we started recording here, we were comparing notes on watching great NFL games over the weekend. So when you watch a a college or NFL game, are you watching it to be entertained like I am? Or are you watching as much to get ideas as you are entertainment out of it? I would say a little bit of both. Um, You know, it's fun to watch the creativity um, when you watch those games, you know, we were referencing some bowl games and, and certainly you see some creativity there when you when you watch Andy Reid and some of those guys. And the NFL teams are like play so many games and play teams multiple times in a year that, you know, you can just kind of see the punch, counterpunch, 
you know, triple counterpunch, all the things going on, and that's fun. But I watch him to be entertained. But at the same time, um, I try to force myself to also watch watch him like a, a coach, you know, formation, front, coverage, you know, things like that. Because I'm also trying to, um, you know, just just improve as a football coach and and improve, um, I, I guess, my coach's eye, so to speak. The uh, uh, Lions, the Detroit Lions eliminated Green Bay in the final game of the regular season. And you were probably you probably saw a little uh, play, kind of a little uh, gadget play they ran late in the game where they threw a quick ball uh, to like a, a slot receiver, took about three steps, turned, quick strike, and then he laterals it to a, a running back who was wheeling out of the backfield. Mm -hmm. Big play late in the game. And I thought that's the most big speed thing I've seen in the NFL uh, in a while. And I thought, I wonder if Lord Montgomery just saw what I just saw. And if maybe we'll see that next season. It was well, a very, very gutsy call in that moment, though. I thought it was just one of the best things I saw all season. Well, Coach, uh, Coach Rogers, our head eighth grade coach, who's been here for like 27 years. That's a staple in his offense. Um, you know, all the kids growing up through any kid in our program, you could ask – Ask them what that play's called a, a hook and ladder play, right? Is yeah, is yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically, what it is. I I didn't see the one you're referring to, but um, Coach Rogers always has it in with our eighth grade bunch and uh, has won, believe it or not, uh, over the years some really really big ball games in eighth grade football with that particular <laughs> play. Is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Can, I, can you tell me what the play is called in your system? What do you call that? Play? I can't. It's top secret. It's top oh, secret. My uh, so like you, uh, I don't know how in the world you and I got to talking about vehicles a while back, but you told me you drove a, you drive a 2011 Tundra, uh, which I respect because that's essentially what I drive is an older Toyota truck. So, uh, and now it's a 12 year old truck and you're creeping up on 200,000 miles. So is because I'm like, man, you should have an NIL deal on a truck. You should have like like a Lexus type truck or something. So, but you say, no, no, it's not practical. So is it really practicality that drives you to keep this truck, a 200,000 mile, 12 year old truck? Or is it at this point, is it a superstition for you because you have won every championship while driving that truck? Oh, I hadn't really thought of it like that. No, it has nothing to do with superstition and probably more that, that uh, I'm a cheapskate. Um, you know, I just kind of feel like cars are really expensive, Bill. And, They're uh, stupid. Yeah, right. They are. I mean, and so, Lauren, the truck I drive, uh, when I look at the new model of the truck I drive, and it's 40 grand, and the national average on vehicles – uh, in 2022, the national average on sticker price was forty-seven thousand dollars. Forty-seven. Right. So what do I do? I go to the car wash and clean mine up and feel pretty good about it. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and it's kind of my personality. I've only had three vehicles since I turned 16. Uh, me personally, that I've driven. Um, my wife's had a few more, but she's not too different than me. So, got roughly 190,000 miles on my truck and. Uh, Knock on wood, I don't want you to jinx me, but it, it's going well. And then, you know, if you had one, if you had one of those, uh, like, say, a, a dealer car or whatever, you know, 
you'd, I don't know the dynamics of it, but you probably have to pay some taxes on it, I would assume. And, uh, you know, the 2011 Tundra, there's no taxes. It's paid for, um, you know, and it's handy to have a pickup too. So uh, th there'll be a point when, you know, it's not dependable or, you know, a guy has a few more years till he can drive and maybe he'll take it over. Um, but I don't know that like if it ain't broke, right. Don't, you know, don't fix it. You know, so hey, every year that goes, when we talked about this months ago, you said, I just like not having a car payment. I mean, and that's kind of kind of a bottom line reason to take care of what you got and not have to uh, worry about it. But you just mentioned Guy Montgomery. He's your, he's an eighth grader as we speak, right? Oh, no, uh, no, he's, he's, he's seventh grader. Correct. Going into eighth next football season. So you're only a year and a half away from coaching your son or a year away from him being in the high school program. Yeah. I've in got effect, some hard probably always He's always kind of around and always in it anyway, right? He is. He's always around. When he In the morning before class starts, he's in my office, usually asleep on the couch. And then, uh, and then he's got first hour strength and conditioning, and I'm in there. And I try to stay out of his business as much as I can. But, uh, but yeah, I'd be lying, Bill, if I didn't say I had some heartburn about the whole uh, coaching your son playing in the program that you're in and stuff like that because he takes after me. He's not a very good athlete, right? And so um, I don't want coaches to feel obligated to play him, feel obligated to have him on the team, those sorts of things. Um, but I know there, no, no matter what happens, there is that thing that I'm the head coach and um, it will have an impact. So I just pray that I'm partial. Uh, I've worked with a lot of guys that have been really good football football dads, Dave Alexander, Daryl Beeler, um, you know, on our staff, Mike Rogers, uh, Doug Barons, you know, some of those guys that have been really good parent dads and their kids have been at all different levels. Um, you know, starters on Friday nights to not starters. And, uh, you know, so hopefully I can I can handle that situation with Grace and, and it doesn't put pressure on our staff to, you know, period. Only Like you remember what I said, only 227 days until your opener? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I've seen some really good high school basketball games uh, the last few couple of weeks and I've seen some really good college basketball games and but I don't ever really count down to the starts of those seasons but I can tell you as we sit here no 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 I'm wrong because you said it's the 24th so it's 220 days till you uh till you face me Owasso I got to get that 31st August 31st date out of my head August 24 at TU Laura Montgomery versus Bill Blankenship, Owasso versus Bixby uh, in the second Battle of the Birds. It'll be classic. And it, part of the beauty of it, too, I mean, Owasso didn't know who their quarterback's going to be. Bixby doesn't know who their quarterback's going to be. I mean, there's a lot of work and development that goes in between now and then, right? A lot. There are a lot of variables in, in football, and you never know which one of those variables is going to win or lose you a game. Right. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I mean, look at just without naming names or whatever, just Lauren, look at the this last offseason and the movement of players, which was really unprecedented to have those kinds of players moving from those schools 
to where they moved to. Well, of course, you know what I'm talking about. But I mean, just just unprecedented big name movement, really the last couple of years uh, of guys within Tulsa County to different programs. So we'll see what that uh, I should ask you about that before we disconnect here. when you talk with other coaches, is there concern expressed about that flurry of movement last year and whether it might become like kind of an annual thing? Or do you guys think that was more of an anomaly, what we saw last year? It's – I don't know. I don't know what to think of that yet. I don't know whether that's just a, a one-year snapshot or I don't know if that's something we're going to continue to see. Obviously, with – the we usually experience trickle down. And so with the free movement of players in at the college level, I would, I would expect just to see more of that this year, you know, um, a program like Bixby where we're growing and they're just building houses out here. I mean, on any given year, you're going to have between 10 and 15 new students on your roster, nine through 12, if not more. Um, What people don't realize a lot of times are, one, maybe two of those players, you know, make a difference, you know, or are a starter or, you know, that sort of thing, like some of the movement we saw last year. I think that's why it was so so high profile for maybe a starter at one program to move to another program, you know, which um, is kind of unheard of. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if we continue to see a little bit of that, maybe because we are seeing it at the uh, – at the higher levels, you know, it's interesting too. Um, different school districts are harder to get into, you know, as far as uh, transfer rules and and different things like that. You know, um, you know, for in Bixby Public Schools, you have to live here or your parents work here. It's pretty much that simple. Um, we don't we don't take transfers. Um, you know, the new transfer rule, but gosh. Um, you know, we don't have we don't have room for the most part in our classes. There, there's a little bit in each grade, but um, even at that, I think there are OSSA implications. And so, um, each each school kind of has their own unique um, situation. But it wouldn't surprise me um, maybe to continue to see a little bit of that. And then also, I think it's just a good reminder for coaches. Um, times have changed a little bit, and you really need to do a good job of nurturing the relationships with your players. You should, should be anyway, right? Because it's a relationship business, but um, you know, I think it's probably a a good reminder that, that we need to continue to uh, I guess for lack of a better term, recruit your own players and, and make sure you have a pulse of where they're at and you're communicating with them about where they stand in your program. Right. Yeah. And maybe, uh, maybe I overreact, maybe like all of us kind of overreact a little bit to what happened last year because it wasn't so much the volume of it as it was that a state championship quarterback moved from his school to his arch rivals school. And there was movement around that as well. Right. But, but uh, so I'm not suggesting it was like, it's not like at uh, NCAA transfer portal levels around here, but it was, there was, I, it felt like unprecedented movement of really important players within Tulsa County. And, you know, well, you know, Bill, you, you something been, to look at during the spring. You've been around a long time. I mean, that's, you know, things like that have been going on uh, for a while. I remember um, I was over at 
Gene Sarah and we played Union in the 2004 state championship. And I'm, I'm kind of going through and I'm thinking of some of the guys that were transfers. There was the Adams kid at quarterback. There was the Moore kid from Sand Springs. There was a big fullback that was the MVP of the state championship game. There was a Bixby kid. Um, and you could go go through that roster. I know, um, you know, there was a Kurt Quillman who was at Union, moved to Jinx in the spring, moved back to Union. Um, you know, so there's been some of that going on, you know, for, for some time. And, you know, maybe that's kind of the nature of parents sometimes. You know, I don't know. Uh, but I think one year is probably not a, enough body of work to – to have too strong of an opinion on um, the way things are going. Yeah, like I said, maybe my opinion is just so weighted by the fact that a championship quarterback moved from one to the other and, and some really good players otherwise. All right, last question. <clears throat> if you combine what goes on around here with six, in 6A1 with what goes on around here, spe specifically in Tulsa with Class 3A programs and 2A down with Rejoice, uh, I mean, this really feels like as good a, a high school football market as there is in the country, in the country. It, it feels that way to me. And I know our web numbers at the Tulsa World kind of reflect that, at least that, that there's a tremendous appetite from our readers on, uh, to, on high school football. But when you when you go to a clinic or when you go to a an Under Armour game or whatever. I mean, does the does Tulsa County football seem to resonate beyond just Tulsa County as being really big time prep football? I would say that Oklahoma and Texas, a lot of folks nationally kind of lump Oklahoma and Texas into a category. I don't think the Texas folks would probably acknowledge that. But um, when you're talking to people from Baltimore or Washington, D.C. or Florida, they understand that football in Oklahoma and Texas is important and it's good. And you see that through little things like something just as simple as number of coaches in the building, if that makes sense. Um, you know, some, some people will have the head coach as a teacher in the building and then they've got to rely on dads and parents and, and, and not professional coaches to help run their programs, which is, which is challenging. And so um, each part of the country kind of deals with a different dynamic. I was kind of um, taken back at some of the programs up around DC that just can openly, uh, they play a national schedule. They don't, they're not part of a league and they're boarding schools and they just openly recruit. They have recruiting budgets and um, you know, St. Francis Academy, for instance, in Baltimore, um, you know, they, they might have 18 or 20 Division One guys a year. You know, uh, it's very similar to IMG. In fact, they play IMG. And so, um, you know, I'm kind of taken, taken back by some of those things. And I appreciate the purity that we see in Oklahoma and Texas football, that um, they're active state associations, coaches associations that uh, make folks adhere to rules and, uh, you know, uh, high school football is still somewhat pure. And maybe that's why folks like reading about it in the newspaper. Right. I mean, and, and I mean, I'm not, uh, there's, I mean, a football factory kind of a school is fine. And it, certainly it's a fast track for a lot of guys to get to, you know, a power five scholarship, but I don't, it can't be as good as an experience 
uh, without the community rivalries, the big crowds, the familiarity with the opposition. You know what I mean? The history of your rivalry with James or whatever. Uh, so anyway, I, it just feels like to me these are the best of times for Tulsa County football. And and uh, oh, I, last question. I promise this is the last one. Uh, it looks, Lauren, like like there's going to be another five. This is just me talking, but it feels like there's going to be another five-year contract to, to play these championship games at UCO. And uh, you being 4-0 in championship games on that at that stadium, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it uh, in terms of big picture travel and all of it, but but with regard to just playing those games at UCO in Edmond, uh, are, you've been pretty happy with taking your teams down there, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, it's been the best thing that the OSSA has done uh, since you know period as far as championship games are concerned. If you ask me, um, the year I think before they did it, they played every championship game at the same time. And I know um, as football fans, we like to watch you know, our, our colleagues that might be coaching at Gore, Oklahoma, you know, Brandon Tyler, you know, I want to watch him play. I want to watch Coach Condit play. And uh, you didn't have that opportunity. And so I think it's good um, for the coaches. I think it's good for the players to know where they're going to play. And then uh, as far as administration of the games and facilities, um, UCO has done a really, really nice job. I've been very pleased with that in the um, – in the operation that that they run there. Well, I mean, if if six A one and four A had been played on the same night at different sites, I wouldn't have gotten to see uh, the the Wagner Classic. Wagner played an unbelievable championship game with uh, with, with an unbelievable possession at the end of the game, uh, just as as good as it gets. All right, I promise that was it. I know you're a busy guy. I really really appreciate your time and. Uh, I think this is just a, a testimony to the popularity and importance of high school football, uh, because when I was putting together a list of uh, podcast, potential podcast guests in mid-January, I said, let's go, let's see if Lord's available. So uh, I'm going to be doing these with various high school coaches throughout the offseason. So I appreciate you. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. Thank you for your time, for your time, and I'll see you soon. Well, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it, Bill.